Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Future Tech Podcast. I am your host, Juliette Lamar, and joining us today is Chris Skinner. He is a best-selling author and top fintech influencer at thefinancer.com. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Julia. Nice to be on. So, Chris, why don't you start us off? You are a best-selling author. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your book? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the blog, and I started blogging about the future of finance and technology in 2007, uh, and I've actually been religiously writing every single day. And the result of that is that I produced quite a few books, one of which came out in 2014 called Digital Bank. Uh, and it's actually proven to be the bestseller, as you mentioned, because primarily it was pointing at the fact that banks' business models were built for the Industrial Revolution. And we are now going through a digital revolution, which has allowed a whole army of new startup companies to come in and attack the bank's business model. And this is where we get into what's called fintech. Um, but I followed that up in 2016 with another book called Value Web, which is primarily around blockchain and distributed ledger technology and building a network that could be fast and free for everyone to use to transact and trade and exchange value. And then the newest book is, um, I think, probably of the three, the one that obviously I'm most excited about because it's brand new. It's just coming out in May. And uh, it's called Digital Human. And it's a mixture of obviously what's happening with financial services, but specifically financial inclusion 
which a lot of the banks have ignored. But um, with digital, you can include the four and a half billion people on earth that historically were excluded because it was too expensive to serve them through physical buildings. Um, however, it's incredibly easy to serve them with just distributed data on the network. And we're seeing the mobile network operators, some of the big technology companies like Alibaba from China, starting to build global platforms to include every human on earth in transacting and trading through the mobile network. And that's incredibly exciting. So, of course. And, and really, the new, the new future is a blueprint of what we're looking towards, of what everything is going towards. And, and do you think that reaching these, these people who've never had banking before, is that going to be tied into, again, the cryptocurrency and blockchain as, as the future? Maybe possibly not seeing fiat currencies be as prevalent? Yeah, I mean, cryptocurrencies, distributed ledger are all part of the dramatic changes that we're seeing across the value chain of money on the network. But the real point of the new book is that uh, a lot of the banks that I did talk to think that digital is doing banking cheaper and faster using technology, whereas actually it's not. It's about starting with the technology and thinking about how could I apply this to exchanging and transacting value with people around the world and businesses around the world and building that from scratch as a new vision. And that's what we're seeing some companies doing. Um, so it's actually not cheaper and faster banking. It's actually a completely different form of finance using technology. It's a little bit like Ant Financial, which is the company that's part of the Alibaba network that runs their financial systems like Alipay. Talk about tech fin rather than fintech. And the difference that they allude to is that fintech is all about taking finance and applying technology to finance to see how it can be made more efficient and effective. Whereas tech fin is taking technology and then applying finance to technology to see how technology can support the financial network. And it's a completely different you know, perspective and attitude. And then the fundamental point here, again, of the new book is that if you look back in history over the last 200,000 years since humans appeared on Earth, we've had three revolutions in history. The first was becoming human, which is around having shared belief structures and a voice that allowed us to live in larger communities than ape colonies. The second revolution was becoming civilized, um, which was 10,000 years ago, the invention of money, because money was required as four out of five people were no longer engaged in food production. And so there were other things that we were doing from restaurants and bars to entertainment and other services that needed a control structure and governments of 10,000 years ago invented money. The third revolution was becoming commercial and um, industrial. And obviously the industrial revolution invented banks as a way in which you could distribute and store money in a trusted regulated environment. And now we're in this fourth revolution where data is the currency and digitalization is automating everything. Software is eating the world. Code is the critical factor. And if data is the new currency, and it may, may well be one of the cryptocurrencies that's at the moment nascent, um, you may say, oh, but Bitcoin is mature. It's not mature at all. It's still very early. But as these cryptocurrencies do mature, data is the currency of the digital network. And that means that we will see a global currency based around data operating around this new global network that includes everyone. And so 
there's a radical change in humanity taking place right now with technology. And I don't think a lot of people have realized that it is the fourth revolution of humans. It's not just a revolution of infrastructure. It's a revolution of everything. Quite an exciting time. No, tell me. I mean, it's only 70 years since the first commercial com com computer came out. And we may think that we've come a long way, but we've still got a long way to go. I mean, how long does your um, cell phone battery last? Uh, how often do you find that your uh, PC or laptop freezes? Um, and mm -hmm. equally, right now, we're seeing everything moving onto the network. So your car's moving onto the network, your television's on the network, your fridge and your house is moving onto the network, your clothes will be on the network. And all of those things on the network can have intelligence and therefore can trade and, and transact and do commerce. How will that work? And obviously the current banking system that looks at quite large transactions will not work in a microtransaction internet of things uh, you know, network operation. And that's, again, one of the things I've specifically spent some time writing about in Value Web, which is in the internet of value where you have all these things that can do commerce, you need a completely different financial network to support it. And it's nothing like the banking network, which is built for the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole new it's a whole new world that is uh, coming. Each of these revolutions happens at a faster pace as well. Like you mentioned, you know, only 70 years ago, where were we? And now, look at where we are now. It is a big stride, but we still are at the beginning of it. Yeah, I mean, it amazes but me. Yeah. But, I mean, if you look at the four revolutions I described, becoming human is 200,000 years ago. Becoming civilized is mm -hmm. 10,000 years ago. Becoming commercial and industrial is 400, 300 years ago, depending on when you think it started. Um, and right now, we're 70 years into the digital revolution. And already, there's another revolution coming around the corner, which is when we become mm -hmm. multi-planetary species based on Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and the space programs that are in play right now for re reusable rockets. You know, It's likely, according to Elon Musk, that we'll have a sustainable um, community living on Mars by the year 2040, which is only 22 years away. And that revolution will also bring around a new form of trade structures. Uh, and depending on which uh, series you're a fan of, I'm a big fan of Star Trek personally because I think it's the utopian future. And Star Trek believes mm -hmm. that in that future, we will no longer have money. We will just have a betterment of humanity. Um, and wealth will no longer be the driver of humanity. It will be around how well we work with each other. Wouldn't that be a beautiful world? <laughs> There's actually another book about that called Treconomics, which um, if you want to get into that area in depth, I can recommend. It's a really fun book. And it's one of the things I didn't realize until I read that book, which is that if you think about Star Trek, uh, it's a utopian vision of the future, whereas Star Wars is a dystopian vision of the future. And Star Trek is all about finding other species and getting to know them and understand them and and being able to actually live in peace with them. And I think that's a great vision of the future, a very optimistic one. Absolutely. And, bo and both of those, of those creative outlets have shown us, you know, potential futures and how we can, how we can proceed and what might be, you know, art a lot of times predicts, predicts the, the yeah, pathway, if you will. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of things, Julia, in um, futuristic science fiction that becomes mm -hmm. science fact. So an awful lot of what was in Star Trek in the last 50 years has actually become reality. Uh, someone was, was um, mentioning to me the other day, they, they rewatched Minority Report with Tom Cruise recently. Mm. I can't believe how much mm. of that is now reality. Um, but if you yeah. look at both uh, uh, that movie and the science fiction series, a lot of the ideas behind those films and, and that entertainment come from people who are tracking 
future programs. So, for example, Minority Report actually sourced an awful lot of what they built into the movie from uh, MIT uh, lab, research labs, from futurists, from people like me, inputting to where the movie sh um, sh should relate to things that are coming obviously downstream in the next 5, 10, 20 years. So a good example is Tom Cruise going into this, the shopping mall and his eyes being recognized by every single scanner in the shopping mall and therefore getting a personalized greeting. Um, that's been something that's been envisaged for at least 20 years and is starting to become a reality because it's now within our cell phones and it will soon be in an awful lot of other things around us. You, that's the reason why people are a bit nervous, for example, of Facebook's facial recognition because how and what is it being used for and how and what will it be used for in the future? There's a lot of things just starting to come out into the real world that have historically been just in the science fiction world. But as I say, an awful lot of science fiction is becoming science fact. Exactly. And it's, you know, as we talked about, it's such an exciting time because of the potential to bring about a utopia and the potential to give people access to things they haven't had before. But with with great strides forward comes great, great responsibility and a lot of things that could potentially go wrong. So what do you think are some of the main things we need to watch out for and how do we prevent them from happening? Well, in my new book, Digital Human, I talk quite a lot about uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning and robotics. And a lot of other authors are writing about these themes in what I think is a very negative way. They think it's going to take all our jobs away and that humans will become potentially worthless and then Cyberdyne systems takes over the world and we're all terminated. I just do not believe that is the future <laughs> at all. It's far more likely that what we're going to find is the machines working in harmony with humans, where it takes away all the drudgery of jobs that we don't and 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 don't want to be doing and dislike, and releasing us to be far more creative and doing things that we do like, like crazy music and um, maybe spending time dreaming. Um, and I think the core comment here is that in the future, machines will learn all the things that are based on knowledge and facts and statistics and numbers. And so we can stop learning those things. You know, we don't need to learn all the things that machines can learn. We should just learn things that they can't learn, such as how to relate to each other as human beings, how to have rapport, how to deal with counseling of people who have depression or other addictions and problems, how to deal with uh, the, the heart in terms of building things um, that are immensely creative and sure machines will be creative but they're only going to create things that they've been programmed to create or learned to be create through their programs they're not going to have the inner human psyche and heart that has built um you know such amazing structures around the world and art that uh yeah it can be copied but i don't think that it'll ever take over those jobs it's more of a collaboration instead of a competition between humans and machines absolutely i mean that if you look at 100 years ago and if you'd said to your great-grandfather, you know, all the people who work in farming today, 95% um, of them will no, no longer have jobs on farms in, in 100 years, you'd have probably got lynched. And yet 100 <laughs> years later, no one's working in agriculture anymore. They're all working in technology and automation and production and offices. And in 100 years from now, we're going to be multiplanetary, where you'll have a lot of people involved in how to service um, dealing with these journeys to other planets. You'll have a lot of people involved in oversight of the robots that maintain those spacecraft. Um, you'll have a lot of people involved in explaining to robots and artificial intelligence machines um, exactly how you th things 
work in terms of the way in which humans work, the way in which humans think, so that they can learn more about us, but they'll never take over us. We'll still be human, but we'll just be digital humans. Exactly. And and I love that you that you're bringing up the positivity of, you know, who wants to have a job where they're just crunching numbers all the time? You know, that that is a waste of their time and and if people look at this as a collaboration and not as a threat, think of think of how much further we can go as a species just by freeing up time <laughs> of our own. Yeah, and, it, and 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 equally we can see the change right now in how, how we work. So if you look at your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, they looked at their jobs and their daily routines and their life. It was pretty horrendous for you know, previous generations, particularly those from First and Second World War, for example. Um, whereas my father was a teacher, um, but he spent a lot of time and hours working um, and getting to and from an office. Now, my job today is sitting, writing and thinking about the future of banking and technology and flying around the world, um, getting treated very nicely at 40,000 feet above Earth. Um, I probably, I won't say I could get away with um, you know, working just two hours a day. I do more than that because I want to, but um, potentially my kids could work two hours a day, four days a week. It's still work. It's just a different way of thinking about work and a different way of doing it. And so I think that's where the future's going, that machines take all the things that are the burden away from humans and release us to be far more um, you know, serving Maslow's hierarchy of needs at the highest levels. Absolutely. And, and using it to our advantage, I know that just the introduction of you know, the internet and people being able to, to Google the answer to things gives you so much more power and mental capacity because now you're getting more information and the quicker you have access to this information, the more you learn and the bigger and better ideas that you have. Very positive stuff. Yeah. And I mean, if I go back many years ago, unfortunately, to my school days, um, you know, we had logarithmic tables and rulers. Um, the idea of still doing that today it would just be stupid. You know, what, <laughs> it, why, why would you want to use tools of the past when the tools of the future make life better and easier? Yeah, and that's the whole point, yeah. which is as, as, as we moved forward with technology into the future, it's always looking at making our lives better and easier so we have more self-actualization and achievements. Uh, that's what it's all about. So thinking about the past, going back a little bit, you know, tell us a little bit about you. How did you get involved with this and, and what has brought you to this point in your life? Um, so in 2002, I was made redundant and... Whilst looking for a, a proper job, I started some hobbies and after a couple of years realized that my hobbies were now my proper job and I didn't need a proper job. Um, so my hobbies were basically networking with people in financial services and technology. So I started a network in London to begin with uh, called the Financial Services Club that expanded over the years across all of Europe. Um, and in fact now has a spin-off company called Nordic Finance Innovation for the Nordic region. Uh, and then the second thing I started doing is uh, working as a freelance consultant with some of the research companies, uh, in particular one large one at the time called Tower Group that's now part of Gartner Group, um, writing about technology trends in financial services. And that led to starting the blog in February 2007, which, as I say, I've been writing on the blog every single day ever since. And it's just because I have this passion to keep track of where the industry is going and how technology is changing the industry. And um, 
that kind of led me to where I am now. But in particular, as I say, Digital Bank in 2014 turbocharged what I'm doing. So ever since 2014, I've been literally flying across all five continents, meeting people in fintech, people in banking, people in technology in all countries. And uh, that kind of makes me one of the few people that has a, a truly global view. Of course, when you immerse yourself, then you have a, a deeper understanding than just people who are reading about it or, or listening to it. So that's that's pretty incredible to be able to put that knowledge into, I think you have six books in total? Um, in fact, uh, rather embarrassingly, I have 15, but there's only four, four well, yeah, three, three, four that I'd recommend because there's quite a few others that are more um, reference books about regulations and things in banking, which are really boring. <laughs> <laughs> Give us the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first so, book I wrote was in 2007 on the future of banking in a globalized world. And I sometimes go back and, and skim over some of the chapters. And it's amazing how a lot of what was being discussed 10 years ago is now a reality. And in particular, one of the key things that we, um, I was writing 10 years ago is the influence that China would have on financial services, which a lot of my American clients didn't like to hear because they thought it was just more of China taking over everything. And obviously in America at the time, manufacturing uh, had had moved consistently across to China. Um, but you look today and the biggest banks in the world are Chinese, the biggest technology companies in the world are Chinese, and China's technology and financial companies are now breaking out of China and coming around the rest of the world. And so in the new book, a third of the book is dedicated to a case study of Alipay and, and financial Alibaba. And the reason being is that um, and you, you may not even realize this, but they've already built a platform that can take payments really easily anywhere in the world, including across all of America. And you don't need Apple Pay to do it. You just have a very simple system that's so intuitive. Um, it's, it's incredibly easy. And I'm pretty sure at some point it will become an American app. I'll have to keep a lookout for that. So in closing here, where what are some of the biggest tips or bullet points that you would want to share with people in regards to this industry? Um, well, the, the banking business model is broken. Uh, it was built for the physical distribution of paper in a localized network of buildings and humans. And in rebuilding that business model for the digital di distribution of data in software and servers is a completely different structure to the institution, which some new startups and new technology companies and big technology companies like Alibaba and Financial have recognized and are already addressing and starting to focus upon. In particular, I know that in the US, a lot of people are waiting for Amazon to open a bank. If Amazon ever open a bank, it won't be a bank. It'll be in this new business model structure of the digital distribution of data for the exchange of value and transactions and trade. And that's what I think is incredibly interesting because for a bank to try and become an Amazon or an Alibaba is not the right path. What they need to do is to work out how to build a system of curating technology capabilities from many, many players to give customers the best experience. And that's the piece that's the most important message, I guess, for, for the financial institutions, which is stop focusing on pushing products and start focusing on customers' journeys and needs in a digital world. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a very strong point. Where is the best place for people to keep up with your blog and to buy your book and just really get more involved in, in everything that you speak about here? Well, the, the blog is available for nothing. It's free. Just put your email address on the website, thefinancer.com. You'll see an email sign up and you'll get the email every day uh, 
showing what I'm talking about and thinking about. And the books are all on Amazon, uh, Kindle, on Google Play, wherever you like to read, you'll probably find it. Wonderful. Chris, this has been really enlightening and just such a wonderful conversation. I love that you have this incredibly positive outlook on our future because I think a lot of times bad news sells and people like to focus on their fear rather than their hope. And with you, I really feel that that hope is a driving factor and communication and collaboration instead of, you know, the negative things that people like to focus on. So just thank you very much for that. That's a pleasure, Juliet. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. That was Chris Skinner. He is a best-selling author and he is the top financier influencer at thefinancer.com. Thank you all so much for joining us. This has been Juliet Lamar with Future Tech Podcast. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000-plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.